0: You just never know what your actions can impact the kids here because they have their own story. What matters to them may be very different, but I think giving people the benefit of the doubt matters a lot.
1: Hey, hey, this is Stacey Cradiville, and you're listening to the Cappuccino Mic Drop Podcast. Hey, hey, welcome back from spring break. I hope everyone had a relaxing and restful break at home away from school and spending some time in the sun with family. Today we're meeting with wellness counselor, Mix Truk Nguyen, and I'm so excited to hear what's going on with the wellness team and learn some tips and tricks from Truk about how to cope with all this heavy baggage that our students come to us with. So Truk, I'm curious, what is the best class that you ever took in high school or college?
0: I think probably the more inspiring class that I ever, that's memorable enough for me, to be honest, was in college. It was like um, a government class that looked at basically philosophy and government. And that happened around the time when the March on Washington happened. And so that was part of our curriculum is actually a field trip to DC during that March. And it was also like, you know, really the height of a lot of visibility around the AIDS quilts. And so it was really intense to be there, (laughs) seeing fields of these quilts and other projects and just a real exposure to like, Things that I would never probably have learned about, honestly, unless I was taking a you know particular class. And this is because I went to school in New England, pretty much sheltered in terms of those kind of issues. Didn't grow up talking about anything around anti-oppression. So that was very eye-opening in terms of just wow, there's a lot going on in the world that I don't understand. (laughs) So I mean, I couldn't tell you what I learned in that class, but I do remember that field trip and the feeling of just realizing that there was a lot more I didn't understand and how systems were working and how just huge communities are literally being sentenced to death you know by policy government policy so yeah I hadn't thought about that for a really long time it's interesting yeah
1: (laughs) yeah it's it's funny how those things those memories sometimes leave us but they're still there and they still drive Probably a lot of the work that you do. I know you're very involved in our anti-racist work and just really striving to make school a better place for kids. And I'm sure that subconsciously it may have stemmed from that experience on your field trip. I mean, combined with everything else throughout our lifetimes. But
0: do you know what, though? Honestly, actually, this just occurred to me, too, is I think that was also the first time that I met somebody who was like the teacher was this gay man i mean i don't remember him saying it but i'm pretty sure that it was clear by the time we got to dc in terms of his knowledge and talking about his community so that's interesting you know to be not meeting somebody or knowing somebody you know queer or gay until you're like in college which is sounds weird now that i say it out loud but I would guess that actually, there's probably a lot of people who have the experience who don't know personally, anyone who's LGBTQ, you know, in terms of visibility in your community or whatnot. So mm-hmm. that's also very weird to think about. It is. It is.
1: So, Truk, tell me how you ended up at Cappuccino. Like, what was your journey to counseling like and what led you here?
0: I mean, to be honest, I never intended to be a therapist. That was not the game plan for me. I was more interested in, well, I have to back it up a little bit. So I am a licensed marriage family therapist, but I also have a specialty training as a drama therapist. And so what that means is like when I was getting my counseling psychology master's degree, I was also coincidentally specializing in learning how to use theater techniques you know, anything that you see in theater or in the dramatic form in the service of psychotherapy. And that was more of my interest, you know, was more of how is it that we use theater or acting or people playing in role to talk about really difficult subjects. Because before that, I had spent 10 years as a consultant and trainer doing anti-racism, anti-oppression work, cultural competency, was the buzzword back then, you know, for organizations and schools just, but what I was finding is that people tend to intellectualize, you know, these concepts and frameworks and really remove themselves around the humanity of what does it mean if you are causing harm or part of a system that causes harm to people that you care about around you, but you don't have a race analysis or analysis around gender or sexuality. And it's because of that curiosity of how do you find a way to embody and process really difficult things that led me into drama therapy. And so I kind of accidentally became a therapist in that process. And I say that because I know a lot of students sometimes are like, well, I don't know. And I don't know what I want to do. And there's a lot of pressure to know what you want to do. Honestly, most of us didn't know what we wanted to do because we weren't exposed to what kind of opportunities there were out there. So for me, I'm just more of someone who's more intuitive of following like, well, this sounds good for now and figure out how to get there, figure out, you know, mostly the battle of just applying yourself. You know, I think like I would be lying if I said that, you know, it's easy to do grad school as a person of color, as, as a queer person. So I think there's a lot of things to overcome you know, with someone who has multiple identities that are marginalized to even get to that door to open it. And so once I walked through that door, I was like, okay, starting to see things differently. And I think before I came to Cappuccino, I worked in the foster care system. So I worked from like two day old babies all the way to like 21 year old kids, you know, and it's astounding how dehumanizing we can be to our children. And you can only do that work for so long, and. For me, I made a choice of not participating in that system anymore because there was a lot of problematic things that I saw. And so shifting to public school, you know, there was an opportunity that opened up. A friend of mine who also works in the wellness program told me about some job openings. And so I applied and that's how I ended up at CAP. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I find it very interesting to be on this side of things in terms of before kids get into any kind of system that there's so much that you can do now that matters like, and affects how I talk to the kids and what I talk to them about. So yeah, I also have my feet in a lot of different things, you know, and I'm not just one locked in career. So I've had a lot of different life experiences as well that I bring to it.
1: Absolutely. That sounds so interesting, especially the drama therapy. Is that what you Mm -hmm. called it? Drama therapy. Are you still doing any of that kind of stuff on the side? Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, sometimes at this moment right now, I'm kind of working on another career area, (laughs) but yes, I've worked with students who are learning, you know, either a specific type of drama therapy that I'm also certified in Mm just called developmental transformations. And it, you know, the short version of it is, it just looks like play, but actually has a lot of nuance in it, especially for people who you know, tend to be very intellectualizing things. And so when you're engaged with someone play is a natural state, you know, I worry about children who don't play. That means something is wrong because that is how we learn, you know? And so if a child's uh, playfulness is somehow eliminated, you know, whether it's some traumatic thing that has happened, like that's worrisome so it's very much part of if not like a process that I use with kids here or outside clients you know in private practice but also working with graduate students who are interested in learning more about like drama therapy yeah so it's it's very useful it's very useful as a way of thinking of mutuality and and also just working towards um you know a place where people feel a sense of self liberation which My sense is there's not a lot of that, going on, you know, in a way that feels empowering, at least and and not about a fight.
1: Yeah. A positive way to cope with things and transform, right. To become a better person and get through some of your struggles. That's awesome. I can't imagine all the different stories that you know about our students. How do you shut off at the end of the day and not like worry (laughs) or do you?
0: Good question. I mean, I, like I said, I do have like two other major career things that I do outside of this. And I mean, everything is very integrated for me. I think with students, I do worry about students, but I also am clear about, you know, boundaries around, you know, my role as a therapist, because I think it's too easy for people who are in like a human service type of position, have the misconception of being a savior you, of course, we want to help people. Of course, we want people to be well, but ultimately that's their life. They make those choices. And I feel like I'm clear when I meet with students and there are things that it's hard to watch because part of it, I'm a human being, but it's, it's like, dang, are we still dealing with this in 2022? Like I thought things would have been better for children now you know, because things weren't that great when I was younger. So there's a little bit of shock around that as well as I think letting kids know what there's a lot more options and choices of how they can manage themselves or deal with certain situations that weren't available to our generation, you know, partly because obviously technology gives you a lot more access around communication, finding resources, but that doesn't change some really elemental things like The bond to your family, you know, the need to have friends, to be a human being, you know, to have a sense of belongingness. And so those things have been super intensified during the pandemic in terms of kids feeling more isolated. And so for me, it's, you know, I don't live their life. I can only offer them different perspectives and help them see different perspectives on themselves, but that's a daily practice. I'm not a fixer upper, you know, like when, uh, you know, sometimes teachers are like, Oh, you know, let's fix this kid or what, there's no fixing to be had. I mean, we're all broken in some way and that's all right. And one of the things that I found really helpful, at least in, in my training and the kind of drama therapy that I do is this idea that even a broken toy, a child will still play with as long as they have their imagination. It means something to that child. And I think, about that, you know, as people, like we're not perfect. And, you know, some of us, you know, are broken and damaged in certain ways, but that doesn't take away from us being human. It doesn't take away from the possibilities and creativity that you can create out of that struggle, out of that imperfection. You know, I mean, that's where success comes from. So if anything, it's hard to see the kids struggle and it's hard, especially when I feel like, things can be intervened on. And I just wished that adults would listen to them more and mm-hmm. that there was a little bit more resources available um, to that. So again, it's like, I'm not here to save people mm-hmm. for sure, but I do my diligence around making sure that you know what your options are and uh, particularly giving a different perspective, especially for kids who have multiple identities that are on the margins are impacted by economic issues. Um, you know, disparity, food disparity, all of that is part of the reality that shapes us and how we see the world. It's just whether you're willing to like get up and be like, screw it, I'm going to keep going anyways, you know? And so how do we build that resilience in, in kids and encourage their creativity despite that? So like, I don't know, I like to try to plant my hope in that, like, I don't see, how do I say this? You never know how you're going to affect a kid. And just because, you know, I'm a therapist, just because I'm a wellness counselor doesn't mean that my ability to impact a child's life is any different than any other adult on this campus. And there's such a lack of kindness right now that people are lacking for each other and and for themselves in some way. There's a lot of self-criticism <laughs> that happens. You know, I, I struggle with that as well. And so I think like these moments where, we're able to have spaces just to breathe and see the person in front of us as a human being, even though there might be a raging teenager who's having a rough time, (laughs) just taking a beat and just seeing them as somebody who's just struggling like we struggle. Mm -hmm. You know, and even if it's just to give them space or check in with them, like you just never know actually what your actions can impact the kids here because they have their own story and what matters to them may be very different. But I think giving people the benefit of the doubt matters a lot, especially when we're in such a divided state constantly, constantly. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm just part of the team here at Cappuccino. <laughs> Happy to be, be part of the team that cares about kids, even though they may not believe it sometimes. It's not my job to convince them. It's to show them.
1: Ooh, that's a good line. That should be like a sticker. <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of being part of the team, you and Shannon are a tag team duo that puts on the drag show every year. Mm -hmm. This is the
0: third annual coming up. Yes. It's supposed to be third. We're not sure if it's going to happen though. Newsflash. It might not happen. We're, um, you know, it's interesting because we lost momentum because of the pandemic. And this kind of is clapping back to highlight actually the level of severity of mental health need right now in this country, especially for teens. But yeah, right now we're struggling around figuring out, you know, if we have enough performers, the kids are stressed out with trying to keep up with the pace of their schoolwork, their life and everything. But yes, usually we have, and I can talk about (laughs) what we've done in the past but yeah I would be remiss if I didn't mention that you know there's something very significant in terms of the impact that the pandemic has had on our LGBTQ youth or questioning youth that it's almost like we might have to go back to square one this year because Uh of people aren't primed for it
1: yeah I definitely feel that shift like being so isolated doing distance learning at home like everyone just changed and things that like I was into before like hobbies, like some of that just changed. Like I'm not into the same things anymore. Now I like other things, you know, I like having flowers in the house and like, I never, never used to do flower arrangements in, in the living room before, but that's like a new hobby and some things just went away. And I think performing arts is one that some kids have moved away from because they didn't have those opportunities when they were at home. I mean, it's not the same to record yourself dancing in your bedroom <laughs> And putting it together for a video that's on Zoom or whatever, it's not the same. So I feel like they may have lost that outlet a little bit or not even realized how much
0: that outlet
1: is useful.
0: Well, part of it, I mean, so we have two cohorts, two-year cohorts of students who've not ever been exposed to high school life, right? Right. Experiencing it for the first time. So there's already a delay in social development, one. I can say that, you know, when I started working at CAP, we didn't have a drag show, but it was something that, you know, students wanted to do, but we honestly didn't have the capacity or someone who knew how to move that forward. And for me, you know, coming from drama therapy background, even though it's not theater, like, you know, I'm not masters in theater, but I know enough about and have been trained in using drama for psychotherapy to apply it to obviously other things. But that first year, you know, was really cultivating it's like, OK, you, how bad do you want it? You know, and also having real talk with with students like if you want something, then you need to show up for it. It means, you know, putting in the work, putting in the hours, talking to your friends. We're talking about building leadership, building capacity, you know, building peer relationships also within the mix that everyone is also, has their own personality in working with that. And so that first year was really cultivating and building the cohesiveness of the group around building this show that was already wanting to be happening. And even then, like, I think we had maybe six or seven student performers and that's still okay number, enough to do a show. But once we got that off the ground, People who are like, I don't know, I don't know if I want to do it, you know, who are like on the fence and just flippy floppy because I did make it mandatory, you know, because I saw it also as an education point. So we had workshops, you know, a friend of mine who's also a drag king co-facilitator workshop on what is drag? What is the history of it? There is a very political history involved with drag and why it exists. What are the different forms, you know? How do I educate kids to do talk about doing entertainment, but in a way that does not reinforce already problematic things like misogyny or, you know, uh, sexism or racism. So that is very much part of the analysis that I want to share with the kids in terms of priming them. Like, yes, it's fun to get dressed up and do the makeup, but there's this whole other layer of, you know, activism just by existing because... People to this day can get murdered and put in prison for cross-dressing or, you know, loving somebody of the same gender. So it's much more than that, you know, And although they don't see it maybe necessarily. It's like you're planting seeds and you're planning frameworks for them to then make decisions for themselves. So by the second year, I mean, we had an explosive response. We went from like starting our little saga meetings, like sometimes it was just me, Shannon, me, one other student maybe two to, you know, the second year that I was here, we had like our first meeting and there was like 25 kids in the room and it was because of the drag show. And so that what that tells me is that there was a lack of visibility. There was a lack of opportunity to safely explore something like this. And so I give a lot of credit to the kids who went first in that first show because they mm-hmm. set that tone. They were willing to put themselves at a very vulnerable place for, you know, themselves to be showcased, of course, but also, you know, it's a high school. I'm not going to be lying to say that people aren't judging you, but it's a practice of not caring and finding who your people are. But that second year, we just had a a large response. It was a lot easier to put on um, in some ways. But the interesting part is that we experienced a lot more trans and homophobia come show day. So, I mean, there's always going to be something I think that needs to be paid attention to, like because we had the numbers and because we had the la- shared language, I think supporting the kids so that they don't internalize those negative messages, that something's wrong with them for like who they love or who how they identify is really critical. And it's even more critical, you know, because part of the show also involved the staff participating, which I was like so so please, you know, that people were willing to participate because it, I didn't know how much that would mean to the kids, but in presentations that we've done post show, the students were for sure, very, 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 very grateful that the teachers showed up because they know like that's vulnerable, <laughs> like, you know, and it's, we can't control how other people will view you outside of here. And so I think that also just showed the kids is like, Hey, if you're willing to do this, we're willing to do this, you know, as an adult being, you know, going out there and doing drag. Yeah. That might have some other consequences, but so are the children's choices around that. It's just a different level of risk, but it is a risk. And so I think when as adults, we show that we're willing to risk for them and to stand up with them, it just sends a very different message than saying like, I believe in you. Go LGBTQ, you know, but you're, you're up there with a wig and whatever else, you know, <laughs> dancing the Lizzo. I mean, big Then you're job, literally you know, walking the walk. <laughs> you are. You're, you're, you're prancing the walk, you know. So, it means a lot. And like, again, you just don't ever know how that might affect somebody to see that. And so, yeah, I mean, it's the visibility of the show really matters a lot too. We always make it public, which was how we learned about like this, you know, um, this family that came to the show and brought their their small children. I think they were like maybe how old were the kids? Probably eight or eight or ten or something like that. But when the children is questioning their gender, and their parent just found our add on from paper tickets. And couldn't find anything that they could bring their kids to to show a positive representation of different gendered people. And so, for her to share that out because we had a Q and A at the, the end of that, like I would have never guessed that, you know, that a parent is seeking that kind of representation for their child to see, like it's not all doom and gloom. I mean, it's not a pretty path sometimes for sure, but like the celebration in the community that can be built that's out there and the self-love and the love from, you know, families that are in the room with them. It's like significant. It's, it's heartwarming. It's like the difference between that and like kids feeling like they just don't matter because they don't love right or whatever it is. I don't know. I was very moved oh, by amazing. that, that's, you know? Yeah. Cause surprises.
1: you've been on the show thinking you're doing it for our students and like trying to really connect you know, the Mustangs like build their community within the school, but it had a greater impact on the community at large, that there were other families that needed this as much as our kids needed it at the time. I hope it gets to happen again this year. And if if not this year, then in the future, when more kids are seeking that outlet, right?
0: Yeah, it definitely requires a lot of support (laughs) to do. And and if it continues, you know, like I would always hope that it would continue with the lens of the framing of why it's important, you know, the roots of it, then it's not just something like, I mean, yes, it's very flashy and glitter and like fabulous. And also it's a way that our queer community has found a way to celebrate, you know, and in some instances make a living and center ourselves in joy, you know, and not destruction and like being oppressed and all that stuff. So it's a very joyful type of event that we also keep real with, you know, factoids and things and how we get there is just as important as the the final product.
1: I love the education piece behind it too, that students and adults alike are learning about the history and just seeing and recognizing and celebrating our queer youth. That's really awesome. What's something that teachers can do in the classroom to either show support or be more inclusive?
0: Oh boy, there's I mean it ranges from something very and I say simple <laughs> but again, then you got to be ready how to respond but having pride flags, having things that indicate that you support LGBTQ community whether it's pride flags, you know, trans recognition, flags, things like that, any kind of thing that shows that you don't tolerate racism, homophobia, transphobia you know, checking in with students, honoring their, you know, gender pronouns that they use. And I know that it's difficult and I know that there's been a lot of frustration, you know, it's like, who are these kids these days? They keep changing. I don't know. Is it it, she, he, they, them, the, I don't even know. It's just as frustrating for them because they're trying to find themselves, you know, and there's finally language that allows for that. And this is developmentally a stage where kids are trying to understand who they are, who do they want to be more like. And so honoring like their gender pronouns. And then also if you make a mistake because we're human, you know, it's you don't have to make a big deal out of it, just self-correct. That's helpful. And then move on. Like we learn through, not learn, I'm sorry, validating someone is by just honoring how they self-identify. And when you make a mistake, just own it, move on. It doesn't have to be a big deal. The other piece that, you know, sometimes happens is, you know, our, because our Saga kids often are very much in leadership positions or are involved in a lot of different things on campus. Sometimes they get outed in ways that they don't want to be. So just even being precautious about outing students or, you know, challenging them to be more out, like everyone has their process around that. Nobody ever says like, when are you going to tell the world you're straight? <laughs> you <know? laughs> like, mm-hmm. Are you still straight, you know, or is this an experiment? You know, so it's like, I think just encouraging and creating a space where also if some if there's homophobic and transphobic things being mm-hmm. said or done that that's attended to seriously, just as racism is or sexism and all these things are interconnected to they are. But I think kids feel safe when they know a teacher takes them seriously you know, about their gender identity or about if they report like not feeling comfortable about something. You know, the invitation for them to, you know, share what's going on, like that you can hear them and not necessarily come up with an excuse for somebody else, but just kind of hear them in that moment. And the flip side of that too, and, you know, I say that that it's important to create these supportive environments the same time that I'm working with kids to Manage when they're not being validated? Like, how do you have a sense of strength when everything feels like it's invalidating? You know, so it's a tough balance, but I think for teachers, validating, validating, validating,
1: mm-hmm.
0: modeling, you know, being chill about things helps model um, what we call affect regulation or emotional regulation. You know, if you're freaking out, they're going to freak out. <laughs> You know, so it's like, it's the same thing with parents, you know, if they're freaking out, the kid's going to freak out. Mm
1: -hmm. Kids
0: are sponges. We forget, like, they're still children. They're still children, despite how that they're towering over me and everything. But (laughs) yeah, just like you don't tolerate that or encourage conversation, but don't have the person who's being targeted be the one to have to explain things. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could probably do a whole workshop. (laughs) 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 But basically... Visibility, checking in, validate, model, like being a human being respectfully, and I don't know, joy. Those are, those are great. <laughs> we you always can find it. If you can find it these days. I
1: know. Yeah. So those are great. And I totally had a sign on my office door that, you know, says something about like, we are all. Welcome here. And it has it's it's just a sign that's very welcoming to all different races, genders, etc. And it's been on the wall for y- years. So I don't think about it anymore. But a student not that long ago had said, Oh, Miss Kay, I love that you have that sign up there. It really makes me feel seen and like totally caught me by surprise. I was like, What sign? <laughs> like I forgot that it's up there, but because it's visible, they felt validated just from seeing that I'm an ally. And just having that on the wall, just a small thing that had seemingly big impact on that student that they felt enough to say something to me like, wow, thank you for putting that up. So,
0: yeah, I mean, when you're part of a marginalized community, you're looking for signs of safety. You're looking for signs of safety, you know, whether it's a woman working in an all male environment, where are the signs of safety? Are there anti-harassment signs around? Is there, are there guys who speak up, you know, if somebody says something sexist? Same thing with our students. They're looking for signs for safety, whether it's like flags, whether it's like how a teacher responds to students being called out, how students get called out. They are watching all the time, assessing, like, is this safe? And honestly, there's a lot of kids who are not even out yet. They're questioning and they're trying to figure out, like, are my parents right? Is society right? Like, what, you know, trying to make sense of themselves are also looking for these places where they might have that conversation. And we're lucky. It feels messed up to say that we're lucky that we can do that. But in Florida, they just passed legislation that made it illegal for schools, I think primary schools, I don't know if it goes up to high schools, to talk about sexuality and gender to students. That is going to have a crippling effect on not just the kids in Florida. You don't think that that's going to be adopted in other states? It's part of the larger white supremacy culture, you know, that the LGBT community is targeted.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so I say, like, yay, you know, these are basic things. But also, these are things that we are now like part of the battlefield. Just human decency is not even seen in, in how we interact with our students by having a poster that says, "There's more than just like." you know, being heterosexual and it not being something that's demonized mm-hmm. is critical, you know? So like I say, like kind of lighthearted, yeah, we have, I, like my office looks like a rainbow threw up and there's probably a leprechaun in some pride shorts somewhere <laughs> in my office. It's very colorful, but I make sure that students understand that this is a place and not just like pride stuff but again i work very integratively there's stuff around immigration there's stuff around gender there's stuff around you know in terms of class and around like how we perceive judgment and and trust and community it's not like one thing that i'm talking about like you know i'm trying to hit across like this is a place that recognizes that we are complex people and that we're not all treated equally but this is a safe place for you to, to talk about when you need to talk about and get help. That that's went awesome. that went dark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. No, that's a good thing. That's
1: a happy <laughs> thing. The place to be seen and see yourself represented. And there's a lot of good things going on. <laughs> not that, not all dark. So my last question. Is what's the best mic dropping advice that's ever been given to you? And this could be in any aspect of life. It could be as a counselor, as a drama therapist, as a person.
0: I don't know if I've had any. I feel like it depends on the season of whatever I'm focusing on. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's so much wealth of wisdom out there, and I think like it's just whether or not we pay attention to something that that seems to resonate and carry us in those moments. I had two, though, that stuck out for me. One one that is that I like a lot and I kind of refer to without exactly quoting it, but it is sort of the premise of, of how I live and work my life is um, and it comes from Sanford Miser. He's one of the primary acting teachers uh, of U. like the when you think of the pillars of who are the experts of of acting. He was one of them. And his quote is, with a developed imagination, there's no place you can't go. And I think that's really critical, not just as an actor, but as a human being. Like Our ability to imagine things that do not even exist, do not exist, is like magic. And creativity and imagination is what allows for problem-solving. Is what allows us, like, you know, to come up with some wild things with the drag show. It's things like our imagination that can pull us out of the darkest places or take that darkness and turn it to something else. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of fostering of our students' imagination, you know, or in our culture here. And so I think it's just, it's a remedy for, a, you know, it's not a solve all of everything, but I, I definitely believe in that, like that development of imagination is so critical and magical and is underrated. And that's very much part of like my thinking on the day to day. Another one though, this is kind of a fun one though, that I thought was just <laughs> useful maybe for students too, is um, it comes from Brené Brown, as you know, she's a social worker. She's a researcher of vulnerability, Right. Big wig lady with this quote, don't try to overwin, overwin. Is that what you, when you try to overwin someone, it's like you're trying to get them on your side. Uh, that, what's that called? Over, I would say win over. Win over. Yeah. Okay. Don't mm-hmm. try to win over your haters. You're not a jackass whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> and that I think works for high school, you know, <laughs> And you're so self-conscious of what people are saying about you. It's like, it takes away your focus from actually what you need to do for yourself. And it's like, if they don't like you, then it's okay. They don't like you. Why waste your time there? But that was amazing. I mean, you may not use that quote just because of the (laughs) reference. It was a quote, by the way.
1: No, that's definitely Um, mic dropping advice right there. (laughs) 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 Boom edit away have fun with that no I love that and I loved your first thing about being able to imagine because we do need to be able to think outside the box to create change and when we're doing stuff around systemic change and trying to like change really complex systems we need to like completely reimagine what school could be like right and we can't do that if we always see things the same way We have to try something new Exactly. The same isn't working all the time. Then just try something else. Thank you so much, Truk, for sharing all that you had to say today. And I want to give a huge shout out to all of the counselors and the wellness counselors and everyone who's just really working so hard to help our students get through this crazy time in their life. Have a good one, everybody. Thanks for listening. Take care.